You're listening to episode 201, Solving the Iodine Puzzle with Charles Hakala. And he would always tell his patients and tell us in the iodine project that he felt that if you would start the nutritional supplement protocol, that you would reduce the potential for side effects with iodine to near zero. This is the dance of life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. So happy to have you here. I hope you're healthy. I hope you're happy. I hope you're having fun wherever you happen to be. I know it's crazy out there right now. A little motivational juju to get us started off by Joan Welsh. She's a politician, actually, but this quote has nothing to do with politics. She said once, a man's health can be judged by which he takes two of, pills or stairs. And I just, I found that quote. I was looking for health quotes. And, you know, sometimes it's so funny searching for quotes that are inspiring because uh, especially the internet, there's all kinds of random crap that comes up. But this one really, you know, it made me smile because, uh, you know, on on one end, you know, I take a lot of pills <laughs> with supplements, but, uh, you know, obviously the, the quote is meant for medication. And you know, on a surface level, what it means is the health is not about, you know, taking medication. It's about, can you still walk up the stairs? It's about your function. You know, everything in good health practices and preventative health, alternative health, all the the new health movements that are happening. It's all about maintaining your function late into life. It's nothing to do with age and even with supplements. You know, I mean, supplements are good, but really what do you get out of that? You know, you have to, I take a lot of supplements and I'm not uh, saying you shouldn't because I actually really highly support them. But to what extent can you do something new with the things that you take? Living a functional life. And in my own approach, the things that I look at most are the basics, meaning very low risk, but very high amount of benefits, wide reaching. It affects like, you know, as many parts of the body as possible. That way you're maximizing uh, your benefit to risk ratio. And they're usually, those types of supplements are actually cheaper than the ones that promise a very specific outcome, you know. So today we're talking about something like that, which you probably have not researched on your own too much. It's not a very common thing, unfortunately. And that's my goal is to make it more common, which is iodine. My guest is Hakala Research Labs founder, J. Charles Hakala. He was a member of the original Iodine Project, along with some other prestigious doctors and researchers, Dr. Guy Abraham, Dr. Jorge Fletches, and Dr. David Brownstein. Uh, Charles's 40 years of compounding expertise is essential in the transforming of liquid Lugol's iodine, which is that, uh, you know, pretty much famous iodine solution, into a Lugo tab. It's a new formulation. So he was responsible for that. And today he still continues to oversee production of all kinds of really useful formulations through his lab, doing testing and helping people 
regain their health. And, you know, today I wanted to interview Charles on iodine because uh, I've been using their lab for a while. And by the way, if you want to go check them out, it's hakalalabs.com, H-A-K-A-L-A-L-A-B-S.com, hakalalabs.com. And if you use the coupon code tutor 10 Yay, that's T-U-D-O-R, one zero, Y-A-Y, when you create an account and then you purchase, uh, you'll get 10% off their store. So they have a lot of good stuff. I mean, I order stuff from there. I do the testing and we'll get into all this stuff. And I will put this info on the podcast blog with the show notes. So if you're curious about all this stuff, all the links will be there. But I wanted to interview Charles because, you know, iodine has been a huge revelation in my own health in the last couple of years and learning about how you know, it's been demonized as a nutrient. And it's probably one of the most contentious nutrients in the last hundred years where, you know, there's been so much misinformation about it. Nobody really knows about it. You know, so why is it so important? Why is it so, in my mind, exciting and relevant to you and your health? Is because iodine controls your thyroid directly. That's one of the things it does. But it also controls the rest of your body through different uh, receptors in your organs. And it's used everywhere. And it has a ton of benefits. The research is amazing on this. And no, like I said, not too many people really are familiar because the research is very heady. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's tough to go through it. So my goal is to present you with this. I'm actually writing a book right now. It's my second book, Dance Your Way Through Life, A No BS Guide to Hacking Your Mind, Body, and Soul for Success. I'm super excited for this. It's going to still take me a couple more months to finish it, but there's going to be a lot of detail about iodine and some of the stuff that we're going to be talking in this interview. So if you're really curious about it, make sure you you hang on and you subscribe to my list for updates on when the book is going to be released because, and I'm telling you, if you're a nerd, if you love nutrition, if you love health, it's going to blow your mind. So I've got some exciting stuff to jump into with Charles. Let's get it. Let's get into it. Let's solve the puzzle of iodine with Charles Hakla. Here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I am here with Iodine Researcher, original member of the Iodine Project and founder of Hakala Research, Charles Hakala. What's up, my friend? So happy to have you today. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, I'm excited, man. We're going to get into some stuff that I don't think a lot of people uh, know too much about. I mean, you've been doing this now for 40 years, right? Uh, yeah, specifically iodine since the late 90s with Dr. Abraham and his group. Yeah, so talk a little bit about that, actually. The, that's the iodine project, right? That is the iodine project. What is that? What was that? And, you know, what did you learn from that? What was that experience? Um, Dr. Abraham and I had been working together for 15 or 20 years before the iodine project on hormone therapies, natural hormone uh, bioavailabilities and things like that. And then he became Im- impressed with the, uh, the work that was done previously, maybe a hundred years before, on the effectiveness of iodine on whole body health. And that is pretty much what led to the iodine project, looking at the proper dosing of iodine for optimal health, along with the complementary nutrients that need to be taken for iodine to be most effective. And that's started with, you know, low-dose iodine, looking at 
a tenth of a milligram a day, finally ending up at somewhere around 12.5 milligram to 50 milligrams a day to obtain whole body iodine sufficiency. And what made you, I mean, have you always been into nutrition and, and research like this since you were a kid or like what kind of made you jump into this particular path versus let's say something else? Um, that's an excellent question. I started out in pharmacy. I practiced hospital pharmacy. I did nursing home consultation work, uh, worked for a chain pharmacy for a while, then opened an independent pharmacy that specialized in compounding. So I guess from that point, I became more and more interested in nutritional therapies and the benefits of a balanced diet and or supplementation protocols for optimal health. So I was probably that transition took place around, oh, it's a long time ago, 1986 or 87. And then ran a compounding pharmacy specializing in hormone therapy for about 20 years. And then became involved with the iodine project with Dr. Abraham, Dr. Brownstein, and Dr. George Fletches. I'm curious because, I mean, most let's say, uh, mainstream medical people, right? Especially, I, I would imagine in the 80s, there was a lot of, uh, and there still is, a lot of bias against like alternative medicine and nutrition and things like that. So I'm really curious, was there anything that kind of, I mean, you had a quote-unquote traditional academic path. So was there anything that like made you question that path and say, you know what, maybe maybe there's more truth for me here in, in the, the nutrition and the nutrients, the supplementation, all that kind of stuff. Like what made you diverge from sticking down the, the path of meds and basically pharmacy and all that stuff? Uh, I think it's probably the influence of Dr. Abraham. Oh, okay. He was, a, uh, you know, a original nutritional supplement advocate. And he comes from a, a very academic background. He's an OBGYN, endocrinologist. He taught at UCLA as the head of uh, their endocrine department. So he, he's a very well-respected guy. And he was heavy into nutritional therapy, particularly with prevention or helping with PMS. Mm. And I think from that, I figured that if, if a guy that smart is looking at nutritional therapies, uh, that's probably the path I need to go down also. That's cool. So you guys knew each other before the iodine project then? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we started with uh, researching hormones. Probably my first association with Dr. Abraham was uh, 1986, I would say. And then the iodine project started in the late 90s. What? Um, why is iodine so important? I mean especially today, like what's the role in the body and why should people know more about it? Iodine's critical for thyroid function. And that is what most people relate to when they think of iodine, but iodine is also important for all body systems. So you have to have proper iodine levels for uh, proper skin. Version. It just never ends when it comes to iodine. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing that's interesting, if you look at the or the history, I should say, not the research, but the history is very contentious with this particular mineral out of, out of all of them. This one's like got a lot of controversy around it. So why, why is that? I mean, how did, how did we have, I mean, the iodine project has 
it came to conclusions about the needs for iodine being way higher than what the, the standard, you know, recommended daily amount is. And there's so much, uh, you know, controversy over iodine. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that and kind of how, especially in the early days, back in the 1800s, 19, early 1900s, it was used, like you said, in a very high amount for various conditions. So what, what happened there that, that there's this controversy? Um, I think that the main issue is that iodine has never been studied to look at what the optimal amount is for whole body health. Uh, the research that was done is looking at iodine strictly for thyroid function and research, you know, has established the RDA at 150 micrograms. That's fine if you're just looking at thyroid, but because iodine is so important to all other body systems, nobody has ever looked at that. And I think that's the attempt that Dr. Abraham did when he started the iodine project was to try to determine what the optimal amount is for iodine's daily consumption. And I think it, one of the things he started with was looking at health around the world and finding that the Japanese are one of the healthiest, healthiest populations on the globe and finding their average daily consumption was 13.7 milligrams per day. So I think that's where the higher dosing started. And then the iodine loading test was the uh, first initiated to see if he could quantify that dose and, uh, you know, be able to recommend per se, what would be the ideal human dose for iodine. How do you know if you need iodine? Like what are, are there signs of deficiency or suboptimal functioning when, when you look at people? Sure. Being because iodine is so important for thyroid function, you know, look at those issues first. So uh, cold body temperature is one of the key things to look at. So if you're always cold in the morning, iodine tends to warm you up. Um, dry, flaky skin is another issue. Lack of energy. Those are probably the top three mm. easily recognizable iodine deficiency symptoms. You know, I was reading a lot of very interesting stuff through Dr. Abraham's research on some of the antiviral mechanisms and anti-cancer properties potentially of, of iodine, basically when you have a certain level of concentration in, in a fluid or in, in the blood, I guess in this case. Can you talk a little bit about some of those? Because I think they're very interesting. Sure. Yeah, Dr. Abraham's uh, research pointed to looking at the serum concentration of iodine it's needed to be antiviral. And he determined that it takes one part per million, which is one milligram per liter, and found that by taking somewhere between 25 and 50 milligram, depending on body weight, body mass, you will obtain that one milligram per liter concentration, which is, seems to be antiviral and antibacterial. There was also uh, an interesting compound that I was reading about called uh, delta iodolactone, I think it was called, mm -hmm. and how it seems to be like a regulator for cell death, and it might have some like anti-cancer properties, but you can only make it unless you have a certain amount of iodine, I guess. Could you talk about that? Um, briefly, you know, and that's pretty much what my knowledge of that is. Um, mm -hmm. 
Gotcha. You need a certain concentration. And the question is, is it the one milligram per liter concentration or is it something else? And it's probably somewhere around there. There again, nobody has done a dose dependent study to show uh, results. Mm. That's super interesting. I mean, it's like, especially because iodine is so cheap, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's not expensive and the benefits are very high for a lot of different things. And they can explain probably a lot of these different trends that we see with whatever chronic diseases in the last, you know, 50 years, especially mm-hmm. with how iodine has been demonized and reduced in the, in the diet with recommendations and things like that. Um, what, what do you think about, I mean, what if somebody has like thyroid issues, like for example, Hashimoto's or Graves disease, or they're on thyroid medication, like how do they go about using iodine, especially if they need it? Well, you know, it's particularly with Hashimoto's, that's a pretty hot topic. Yeah. Um, there's two schools of thought. One school says that Hashimoto's patients should never take iodine. The other school of thought, which is Dr. Abraham, Dr. Brownstein, uh, Dr. Fletcher say Hashimoto's is a result of iodine deficiency. And it's interesting to note that before iodine was added to salt, the prevalence of Hashimoto's disease was non-existent. Mm. Either they weren't looking for it or just wasn't a problem. But if you have suboptimal doses of iodine, it will promote the, the development of Hashimoto's. So it's possible that suboptimal amounts of iodine and salt has something to do with Hashimoto's uh, and the override is to give enough iodine to prevent that negative feedback. I was wondering about that too because that's really interesting because salt has chloride in it, right? And chloride is one of the, the halogens. So is, is there some sort of mechanism that's happening where we can talk about this because this opens up another topic with, with halogens and, and toxicity, but does the chloride, I mean, especially let's say if people have bromide in them, does the chloride trigger some sort of reaction? And because there's not enough iodine to basically help with that, it sort of starts this downward spiral that maybe wouldn't have happened or at least would have happened as fast if they weren't taking the iodized salt. Like that the iodine is like enough of a match to start something, but it's, it's not enough to keep it going sort of in a sense, but. Um, I'm not sure that you can draw a correlation to chloride. I think mm. that there's, you know, certainly a correlation with bromide. Yeah. And if you do not have enough chloride ion, you cannot clear bromide effectively out of the kidney. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times what we'll see on the 24 hour loading test is we'll see a very low iodine excretion. We'll see very low sodium. And then if you conversely look at the serum levels of bromide, they are high, whereas the urinary levels are low. So they're just not clearing the bromide out of the body. Mm. Because so the people need salt or is it sodium or chloride to clear out the bromide or both? It's chloride chloride it's the chloride ion so let's let's talk about that because i think that is huge and that's something that for sure most people don't realize is that the presence of these halogens uh like fluoride bromide uh, and mostly fluoride and bromide are impacting how 
our thyroid works, you know, our, our own, you know, toxicities, all these things. Can you talk about the relevance of these halogens? How do they work? You know, what's, what's the mechanisms and, and what are some of the symptoms? Like, how do you know if you have, you know, too much bromide? Um, too much bromide causes general sluggishness. And the reason for that is preventing iodine from absorbing into the body. So bromide is a particularly bad actor because it prevents symporter function, which is the process of actual iodine absorption into the cell. And then it also affects symport or um, iodination of iodine within the cell. So first, you have to transport the iodine across the cell wall with symporter, and then you have to iodinate it or hook it to a fat molecule to be effective. Mm-hmm. Bromide affects both of those. Wow. Uh, so you, it's a double whammy. Fluoride only affects symporter function. So if you have you know, too much fluoride, you're going to not absorb the iodine at all. Too much bromide, you're not only not going to absorb it, but that that you absorb is not going to be available for usage within the cell. So what happens to the iodine? Okay, so like with the bromide, that's really interesting. So if, if your symporter, like let's say you got bromide, and the ability for your body to transport iodine into the cell is impaired. So that's the symporter. But now once it's in there, it also needs to be iodinated. Is that the right word? <laughs> that's correct. Iodinated, okay. So that means where it's basically a, you know, some fat is, is added to it for it to be processed. What happens in that case? Like let's say you have bromide and you can't do that process. What happens to that iodine that's in your cells? It's excreted out in the urine. Interesting. Interesting. So, you know, what we'll typically see is with Dr. Abraham's published information on the iodine loading test, his definition of iodine sufficiency is if you take a 50 milligram dose of iodine, you will excrete 90% or more within the first 24 hours. So what happens with very high bromide, it artificially inflates that number because mm-hmm. the iodine cannot be taken up into the cell, it's excreted. So that's why it's important to look at both iodine and bromide levels when you do a 24-hour loading test. And the, and the false so positive could happen it. from either, right? Basically from either bromide or fluoride because even fluoride, it blocks the, the iodine from getting into the cells, meaning it's going to get excreted anyway. So either way, those two hal- halides or halogens, they basically block iodine. And make, you, and make you excrete it. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, in your experience testing people, how many, like, rough number off your top of your head, how many people have you tested in the last, whatever, how many years have you been doing this? Um, gee, we, I haven't kept track. That's probably a really good question that I should know the answer <laughs> to. I would say in excess of 5,000. And I know uh, Dr. George Fletcher, who also had run a iodine lab, he'd done in excess of 10,000 patients. Wow. So he has shared that information with me. And the information that we receive is parallel to his information. So, you know, I would say 80% of the people that we test turn up iodine deficient. I know Dr. Abrahamson original testing said more than 90% are iodine deficient. So, you know, that, that's pretty close. 80 to 90% of the American population seems to be deficient in iodine. 
And what have you seen as far as bromide levels and fluoride? Like, are they, you know, what's, what's your opinion on that uh, based on what you've um, seen through the testing? Generally, what we see with the bromide, and it, it seems like if you have a urinary bromide level of five milligrams per liter or less, it has a minimal effect on thyroid function. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say the bromide levels that we see above the five milligram threshold is probably about 10% of the patients. Wow. What about fluoride? Um, fluoride is real spotty. Um, since the EPA has reduced the amount of allowable fluoride in the water from um, one milligram per liter to 0.75, we have a, a direct proportional reduction in the amount of fluoride in most people's testing. When did that happen recently, right? With the reduction yeah, with, in fluoride? Within the last couple of years. Yeah. And so, you know, we can see with the urinary excretion of fluoride that it's gone down proportionally. But there again, we get some really, really high fluoride levels. And whether it's patients taking fluoride-containing medicines or people that are on well water that runs through a aquifer that is very high in mineralization and fluoride being one of the things. For example, our urinary testing shows the average in this country somewhere between 1 and 1.3 milligram per liter. Mm -hmm. We have had as high as 30 to 40 milligrams per wow. liter on people that are in an aquifer that is highly fluorinated. Now, and with those cases where they have these extreme amounts, have you, I don't know if you have contact with them in regards to like their symptoms or how they feel, like have you seen you know, people that are like, Hey, yeah, I'm whatever. I'm forgetting everything, you know, every day or having severe cognitive issues or whatever. I don't know. They or, seem to. And, you know, they will certainly comment that once they start filtering their water and getting on some sort of iodine protocol, iodine will clear both bromide and fluoride out of the body. They feel much better. And I have not seen, uh, that much mental confusion in these patients mm -hmm. and it could be they may not be uh, drinking that much of their their well water that is so contaminated but I would think it because fluoride in particular is such a neurotoxin that over time you would start getting mental confusion as well as problems with bone whether it be uh, osteoporosis or you know actually causing some sort of uh, cancer in the bone Wow. What about bromide? I mean, bromide is so, I was reading about like how, especially in the U.S., we consume so much of it through all kinds of textiles and different chemical products and stuff. I mean, bromide's like literally everywhere. I mean, where, what are some common sources of bromide that people should be aware of? The most common source would be um, flame retardants. You know, typically if you see one, somebody that calls in and complains of mental confusion, you will ask, well, have they had their carpeting in their home recently replaced? Mm. And it's amazing how many people say, oh, yeah, I've, I've had my carpet replaced. And uh, that's when the problem started. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, I, I remember, they, are they still doing bromide in bread? I was reading about that, too, because they were putting, at one point, they substituted iodine with bromide in bread. 
Yes, um, it seems like they're getting away from the brominated levigating agents in bread. Yeah. But still, it is used and added to bread, uh, which why they took iodine out is a mystery to me. I just never, never will understand that. How long does it take to reach iodine sufficiency or whole body sufficiency? And then after that, I guess, what would be the maintenance dose to, to keep you at, at that level? Um, when Dr. Abraham published his material, he said that 50 milligrams a day for 30 days will get most people to sufficiency. We have found that it takes longer, particularly in patients that have a lot of bromide or fluoride on board. It just takes a while to clear all those other toxins out before iodine can be utilized. So typically what we see is if someone comes in with a high bromide or fluoride, they will excrete abnormally high amounts of iodine. But as they continue on maybe 50 milligrams a day, you will see the urinary bromide fluoride levels go up and the urinary iodine levels go down, mm. which means that as the bromide and fluoride are pushed out, the iodine can be can replace the binding sites. So, uh, you know, it's not uncommon to go two or three months with high iodine to really get to sufficiency. And then for maintenance therapy, uh, Dr. Abraham would say that 12.5 milligram to 25 milligram a day for maintenance is where most people will wind up. Now, are there other things? Because another thing that I think is important is the, the importance of the complete nutrition perspective, right? There's other nutrients that seem to be part of the whole reaction that happens in the thyroid and, and obviously other parts of the body. But what are, what are some other nutrients that are really important to maintaining the process so that, you know, taking iodine doesn't aggravate let's say if you do have some sort of inflammation in the thyroid or, or any kind of issues caused from the detoxing, what are the, the nutrition protocols that people need to be mindful of when they're taking um, Yeah, Dr. Abraham came up with the term of ortho-iodo supplementation protocol, and that is stressing the importance of magnesium, selenium, zinc, vitamin C in the diet in order to facilitate the proper use of iodine. And he would always tell his patients and tell us in the iodine project that he felt that if you would start the nutritional supplement protocol, that you would reduce the potential for side effects with iodine to near zero. Wow. So, uh, you know, in practice, I think that people that do start on the, the protocol be a month before they begin iodine will not notice the detox reactions that someone that just uh, starts out with iodine right away will see. Here's a question for you about the testing. I mean, there's other tests for iodine, and I'm curious what you think about them. Obviously, the, the urine test is, is the gold standard, but you, know, you have these things where people put it on their forearm. I think it's like a drop of iodine or something on their forearm or the spot urine test. Like, How do those compare to this 24-hour urine test? Um, the 24-hour test actually gives you whole body iodine sufficiency. The spot urine test just gives you a look at nutritional intake 
from the food of iodine. And when you paint iodine tincture on your skin, it gives you kind of a rough idea, but you have to keep in mind that iodine is very volatile. So you have a lot of evaporation off the skin before it can be absorbed. So it's kind of a really rough test. It doesn't give you an actual number. But, you know, if you paint a blood iodine tincture on your skin, it goes away within a couple hours. You can probably assume that you're iodine deficient. Mm-hmm. And some, I mean, as far as the accuracy of the test, okay, one thing that uh, I read about was that basically, okay, how, how do you respond to this? That, hey, how do we know that this is all the iodine that's exiting the body when, you know, iodine could also leave through the stool? So basically, how, how do you measure the accuracy of this test so that people know? Okay. Um, basically, through the stool, you lose 1% or 2% iodine is what uh, the published reports say. And we've actually done a follow-up of that about 10 years ago. And 1% or 2% is about the right number. And then also within the first 24 hours, you do not get all the iodine out of the system, hence the 90% number, which assumes that probably you're going, if you take a 50 milligram dose, the first 45 milligrams will come out in the first 24 hours. The last five come out in the next 24 hours. So that's why we say that if you get 90%, that's probably 100%. Does that make sense? Uh, sort of. Yeah. So, I mean, basically you're just, you're still having the iodine in your body. It's just being let go at different times. Right. Yeah. The the 90% will be excreted in the first 24 hours. Yeah. So, you know, and we, we understand that, uh, the next 24, but logistics of the test, it's laborious to do 24 hour urine collection to have somebody to be expected to do a 48 hour urine collection. That's kind of above and beyond the call of what most people will tolerate. Yeah. So that's why rather than saying you need a pretty big jug, (laughs) you need a really big jug and really a lot of patience. And in a 48 hour period, it's difficult to catch all the urine. So the accuracy, I think probably would go down as well. What, you know, I just had an idea kind of back to the whole uh, salt thing, because here, here's a question for you. So, when people are usually stressed with adrenal fatigue, certain things happen in the body where you crave more salt because you're, you're peeing out a lot more salt, basically, uh, and so you, you need more salt in the body. How does that impact this whole process with bromide and, and fluoride and iodine? Is there any impact by, by needing more, by getting more salt in your body, obviously, because you, you need it because you're leaking it out? Does that create any chemical issues? Um, The only thing that we see with very low salt intake is a decrease in bromide excretion, which would cause bromide to build up in the body. What about swimming in pools? Like, I mean, is that because salt is good for you if it's natural salt, if it's good quality sea salt. Uh, and that has chloride in it, and you need the, the chloride ion to, you know, move bromide and, and shuttle that out. But 
what about like swimming in pools and getting chlorine or chloride? <laughs> What's the difference, by the way, between chlorine and chloride? Ide and ene. Uh, yeah, chlorine is the actual element. Mm. Chloride is how it's found in the body. Gotcha. You would not find, for instance, free chlorine gas. It has to be bound to something, and that's how it's excreted. The kidney is, excretes chloride very efficiently. We have not been able to do any correlation between people swimming in pools and change in body chloride. Mm. It's simply because when you think about how much chloride is normally excreted by the kidney, it's probably the average is 5 to 10 grams per day. And the concentration of chloride as a disinfectant in a pool is in the milligram per liter area. Oh, wow. So Interesting. The air of the experiment, if you will, of determining the amount of chloride in the urine, you know, when you look at 10 grams being excreted per day versus milligram quantities that you may uh, experience in a pool, it just is not significant. What, when you're testing the, the sufficiency of iodine, how does the blood relate to that? Like, let's say, you know, you, you're getting your, your test done, your 24-hour urine test, and you get to the point where, okay, I have low bromide, low fluoride, all the halogens are low, and my excretion is high, so that would indicate I'm, you know, pretty much iodine sufficient. But then is there also like a blood marker for serum iodine? I mean, I know that the, the standards are really off compared to what optimal should be, but is there mm -hmm. a standard that we're shooting for as far as the blood? Um, I think as far as general health, you know, in really all we know is a 50 milligram dose of iodine in most people will give you one part per million of iodine concentration in the blood. Yeah, because there's about, what, five liters of blood in the average person? So yeah, so that, that factor is uh, about right. Yeah, about, but, you know, just, I think just roughly, <laughs> yeah. um, if you look at 50 milligram dose, it gives you one milligram per liter. Hmm. Wow, that's so interesting. So if people want to get started with this, what's their, you know, what, what would be kind of a checklist of awareness that they, they need to get started with this and, and do this iodine testing? I think the couple schools of thought. Physicians we work with like to do pre-testing to kind of get a status of the iodine to see if the patient is actually iodine sufficient. There's another large group of physicians that say everybody is iodine deficient. I'm going to start patients on iodine uh, you know, from day one. And, you know, along with starting, uh, most docs we work with will do this complete protocol. So a uh, good nutritional support along with the iodine. Now I the, guess if you're a, oh, go ahead. Sorry. If you're a numbers person, uh, you like testing and I have to be a numbers person. I kind of like to know where I'm starting and where I'm trying to end up. But there again, you know, as far as general response rate, testing or no testing, people tend to do better when they start iodine. 
And the the iodorol is is the pill that you were you guys using, right? Like how how does that what is that? Like it's potassium iodine and potassium iodide. So can you explain why those two are kind of part of the, the, the formulation? Sure. Um, we, we use a product called Lugotab now. Oh, Lugotab, okay. Iodoral is the Optimox now allergy research group product, which actually I developed that formulation for Dr. Abraham back in the 90s. Um, we have since changed the formulation technique to improve the shelf life. So it's Lugotab and it's the same combination of iodine and potassium iodide. Um, for instance, potassium iodide is what the thyroid gland prefers. Mm. The skin likes iodine. So you really need both iodine and iodide in a supplement for it to be the most efficacious. And you guys, uh, you guys sell that basically as well, or can you find, is it like commercially available, the Lugotech? It's commercially available. Yeah, we make it here in our, our uh, plant in Wyoming, and our customer support is in Montana. And um, so if people want to get the test, they call you guys up and they do, they just order the test. It, it comes in the mail. It's like a kit, basically a, a jug to collect the urine. And then what do they do? Basically, they collect the urine for 24 hours and then they... How does it all work? What's the turnaround time for it? Um, essentially, the, the uh, test requires you to take a 50 milligram loading dose of iodine. And then after you do that, you collect urine for the next 24 hours. The kit comes with a, a jug, which you can measure the volume of iodine or the volume of urine. And then you fill up two small vials of that collection and send to us. We turn around samples. Uh, same day that we get them in. So I guess from the time the patient gets it till they get results, depending on the mail back to us, which could be three or four days, uh, about a week is a, a normal turnaround time. And you guys use like a HIPAA compliant server too to do that. So it's all pretty legit. Yes, it is. And we're a, a CLIA COLA certified laboratory as well. Um. So, okay, if people get started and they do it, it takes about three months. So about, let's say within a year max, it should, if they're following a complete nutrition program and doing this, they can get their iodine whole, whole body sufficiency pretty much, right? Within, within a year, I would say. That's our experience, yes. And there's always people that are exceptions that have extremely high bromide and bromide clears slowly. So, you know, it will take those patients longer, but that's only one or 2% of the folks. Any crazy stories that you remember from all the people that you've tested of, of like, Hey, they came in with, you know, whatever, super high bromide. Then they went through this program and then they, it's like, wow, they, they went from being mentally incompetent to now they're like, you know, happy as a clam. Any stories <laughs> that you can remember? <laughs> uh, no, we hear a lot of stories like that. Yeah. But you know, it has to be taken with a grain of salt per se, because most times we only hear back from people where we have a success. People that do not feel better don't call us back. So sure, we have a, yeah. we're slanted towards very positive results, but there again, 
people don't tend to call back if they don't follow the program or don't feel better. So I, I'd like to say we have a hundred percent response rate, but uh, I know we don't. <laughs> That's still good though. That's still good. I mean, uh, it's, it's so interesting because like I said, especially with iodine, it's been such a demonized uh, nutrient. I mean, it's, it's so contentious for, for whatever reason, but it's, it's so beneficial to so many different things. I mean, you read the research and there's so much research on, on its benefits for, for so many very serious illnesses. And uh, I think a lot of people should know more about it. Do you have any coming up, like any research or any, anything you're working on right now with the lab? Um, as far as iodine research goes, the, the information that we have on our website tends to encompass all the research that we have done. And we haven't been able to add to any of that because Dr. Abraham was so complete with his, his Yeah, he's very thorough. I mean, his papers are crazy. Yeah, he wrote very long articles, and we just haven't been able to improve on that. Um, No, currently we're working on some bromide uh, research to try to correlate high bromides with different conditions. Mm. We're also working on uh, doing some studies on boron, looking at osteoporosis and osteopenia. Those are the, the two current thrusts. Are you able to test boron? In some way, like in the body, like in a functional way? Or is there? Uh, Yeah, it is excreted likewise in the urine. So you can do urinary boron excretion. Um, You can do uh, serum boron as well. Which one do you think is more reliable? Because I've been wondering in a way to take, because I take boron every day, about two milligrams, and there's no way that I've found to be able to test for it, as at least on a functional level. So, like the other nutrients, I've been really curious to find any kind of test. Um, yeah, we've been trying to to figure a way to adequately. You know, we can test for boron. That's not the problem. It's saying that if you take a certain dose of boron, this is what's going to be beneficial for a specific condition right you know dr george fletches who has done years probably 20 years of of boron research feels that 30 milligrams a day for maintenance is very good keeping in mind that the rda for boron is three milligrams so we're talking much higher than the rda Um, and then as much as 90 milligrams a day to 100 milligrams a day for other cases of osteoporosis. Wow, really? That's crazy. I'm gonna have to look up his work. That's that's really yeah, interesting. Yeah. Wow, it is, and it gives you know people a, a nutritional alternative to some of the more toxic pharmaceuticals that are used in that condition. Well, it's it's so interesting to find these little pieces to the puzzle that that are hidden in the background. Like you know, we know calcium is good for bones, but there's also magnesium, phosphorus, boron is super important. So. You know, if you're not taking boron in and there's a missing kink in the chain, then everything kind of starts wearing on itself. So that's, and, and it's especially with the required daily amounts. I mean, I think every nutrient that's, that's established is way off from what would optimally be, you know, uh, for that nutrient, especially like with iodine, you know, the difference between the recommended daily amount and the optimal amount is like, you know, factors of a hundred or whatever it is. But that's crazy. I never heard that about boron with 30 milligrams being a maintenance dose. 
Yeah. You can't you yeah, can't overdose on boron. <laughs> you can't poison well, yourself long term. <laughs> it's like everything else. You know, you you can always get too much of anything. Sure, yeah. But the toxicity of boron is similar to that of table salt. So it's in gram quantities per kilogram of body weight. Wow. So Interesting. I, I would think you probably could probably overdose, but um, it would be far and above, you know, the thirty milligram that, that physicians are using you know, of our particular preparation. You guys sell boron too? We do. And what's the, is there a particular form? I know like with minerals, the chelated form is pretty good, but with, with uh, boron, is there a particular form that you found is, is the best for bioavailability? Um, boron is similar to iodine in absorption. It's nearly completely absorbed out of the gut. Hmm. The formula or the type of boron that we use is a potassium tetraborate. And that just seems to be what Dr. Fletchus originally asked us to make for use in his studies and his patients. And we stuck with that. We've been making boron formulations for 25 to 30 years. So wow. we just use the same uh, formula. That's super interesting. All right. You give me some homework. <laughs> I'm going to start looking into his research. How do you spell his last name? F L E C H. A.S. Fletcher. His first name is, yeah, Fletcher. His first name is Jorge uh, or George, J O R G E. Wow. And he's uh, an MD uh, family practice guy in North Carolina. He retired, I think, in January of this year, January, February. But you can probably still find his YouTube videos and talks on Boron. Wow, that's interesting. Cool. I'm going to have to look into that. Well, anything coming up for you exciting otherwise that uh, um, doesn't have to do with work necessarily, but whatever else that you're looking forward to? Uh, no, it's just, uh, you know, business as usual here at the lab. We're yeah. working on, you know, a few new formulation ideas that always keeps things interesting. For iodine or for other stuff? Um, no, we've become interested in CBD market hmm. and particularly looking at the other things that are called terpenes yeah. that are found in CBD extract. And it seems to be that the terpenes, by changing the terpene profile, you change the activity of the CBD. Interesting. So terpenes are an old chemistry. I remember back in pharmacy school, uh, my pharmacognosy professor, who is a, the professor of natural compounds per se. I don't think that's even taught anymore, but I can still hear him say that terpenes are where the action is. And so, I didn't realize what he meant until I got involved with the CBD business. So like, okay, give me an example. Like if you have, cause I mean, I don't know that much about it. I know what terpenes are to some extent, but like, okay, let's say you have CBD and that's supposed to have a, a calming or a down effect, right? On the body. So how mm -hmm. do the different terpenes like let's say terpene combination one versus terpene combination two. How does that actually impact the, the pharmacology of, of a CBD? Uh, by changing the terpene profiles, you change the activity. So with a one terpene profile, you may get more muscle relaxation or drowsiness. Another terpene file, profile will help with muscle stiffness or pain. Another terpene profile will help with mental acuity, if you will. Wow. So it, it just depends on, 
what the profile is. And there's so many different compounds in CBD that it's very difficult to know where the action is, but it's been narrowed down to maybe 10 major terpenes by changing those profiles. You change the activity of your product. Wow. That's fascinating, man. That's, that's really cool. Cause then you could pretty much make specific formulations for specific outcomes. That's correct. Yeah. Yep. Awesome, man. Well, you, you are a wealth of information. I am uh, very grateful to, to have you on the show. What are you grateful for today? That's the last question. What's your most, what are you most grateful for? Uh, probably most grateful for being able to come into work and seeing the things that we do help people. So that, yeah. that probably is what keeps me going. That's awesome. I mean, you guys have touched thousands of lives through, through this research and through what you guys are doing. So that's exciting. Have you noticed a, an uptick? I mean, especially with everything going on right now, have you noticed like more business that people are like getting more interested in things like iodine and, and preventative health, I guess? I think that they are. And what's gratifying is that people are becoming more interested in whole body health. So when you read the statistics in this country, the prevalence of um, obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes is going up. People are looking for alternatives to the, the drug industry in order to help with these conditions and improve their general health. And I think that's going to be the key to getting people through this current pandemic as well as pandemics in the future. They know they have to be healthier in order for their own immune system to be able to fight disease off. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I think it's a wake-up call. It's like, okay, especially if this thing isn't going away and there's more stuff in the future, what can I do to not be a slave to, you know, the, the outside? You're absolutely right. And I think that, you know, people are beginning to realize that vaccine is not the answer. Yeah. Um, the answer is just being more healthy. Yeah. And that's kind of what our goal is, to spread that word. Alright guys, well I hope you enjoyed this episode. So happy to have you here. And I hope it's inspired you to do your own research. You know, start learning more about your health. Iodine and the thyroid are so critical to everything from energy to your mood to your metabolism. I mean, it's it's just crazy. And like I said, iodine has had a contentious history, especially with the incidence of thyroid diseases that have, have raised. And like I said, if you look at the history, um, you know, iodine had nothing to do with that. It's there's other factors going on in your your general nutrition, toxic toxicities like from bromide, things like this. Um, you know, certain genetic factors that can predispose you to creating more antibodies. So in those cases, you need more selenium, more nutritional, uh, you know, care like eating an anti-inflammatory diet, all these kind of things. And like I said, it's all this stuff. Um, you know, I'm going to be doing. A lot of detailed work on this in my book. So if you want to stay in touch and, you know, know when the book is coming out, you know, sign up through my website and just stay in touch that way. But it's fascinating. I mean, literally just going through this took me days to go through all the research and it's just really cool. So I hope it's inspired you to learn a little more and to check out, do go do an iodine test, um, a loading test. It's not the most fun thing to slosh your urine around for a day, but, uh, you know, it's going to give you some valid 
information, so very valuable information on your level of toxicities and what your body is looking like. You know, so it, it takes several months, up to a year, maybe even more, depending on what your uh, health status is at. But iodine has so many benefits, man. I mean, it's just unreal. So anyway, if you want to get in touch with Charles or your uh, get that test, get any products of theirs, uh, like the boron especially. Oh, my God, I have to do a whole another episode on that. But it's hakalalabs.com. That's with a K, hakalalabs.com. Kind of rolls off the tongue, Hakala Labs. And don't forget to use the coupon tutor 10 yay That's 10% off uh, if you create an account first and then purchase something. So I'll put all this stuff in the show notes. But I hope you've enjoyed uh, this episode, guys. Stay in touch. Like I said, if you are curious about more of this research, I do plan on starting a wellness blog uh, in a couple months. I'm just buried now with this book, and I'm super excited to release it. And I'll let you guys know when that comes out. But do not forget... A man's health can be judged by which he takes two of, pills or stairs. You know, so like I said, this quote is initially meant for medications, so you can tell, you know, who's healthy based on what they're doing. But, you know, even if you're taking supplements, I take a lot of supplements, certainly more than two pills a day. Um, But I know each one and what it does for my body and what new actions it allows me to do, whether it's sleep better, have more energy, recover faster, heal my digestive system. Everything has a purpose. And when you go through life, arch, you know, architect your life based on the things you want to do and be very clear about it. You know, what's your goals? One goal at a time. If I want to heal my digestive system, there's things that can help me do that. Do the research. Make sure you're clear about things and understand what is the implication. There's so much stuff on the market now that is promising you a fad solution, a quick solution. Put this patch on, you get energy. Uh, you know, do this trick or use this device and you're going to feel you know, happy or whatever, relaxed. And it's ultimately, it all goes back to the basics. Iodine is one of those things, it's a fundamental nutrient that you need for your life. It's not some, you know, new age hack, like it's a nutrient you need and it's very valuable for all of your body systems. And it's not going to cure you tomorrow, but if you do it every day and if you test regularly and if you do a complete nutrition program like we were talking about, uh, you know, it's the long-term is what you're buying. You're buying functional time on this planet. Life is short. You know, invest in your ability to live a functional life. And when I say functional, I don't mean that in like a low sense, like, well, as long as you're functioning. No, I mean like in the highest possible sense that you are highly functioning, that you're flexible, that you're, you know, have strength, that you have good mood, you have good focus, you have good energy. I mean, if you have that, you're the healthiest or you're the wealthiest person on the planet. So, you know, that's what it's all about. So I hope you guys enjoyed. Thank you so much for being here, for listening. I really appreciate you. 200 episodes, you know, recently celebrating that was uh, was quite the thing. You know, I'm, I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful to be here and to be still doing this for you. And I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to get better and better. And I'm excited for the future. So many wonderful things coming up. I, I, you know, I want to get into doing videos. I want to do a newsletter, a wellness blog. It's not enough time in the day but you make it possible. So thank you for being here. Tune in next week, guys. I'm going to be interviewing Danielle Randall. Uh, she is a coach. She's the founder of the Authorized Love Movement. Super cool thing she's doing on self-love and self-acceptance. That's going to be the theme of next week is living your life with love. So until then, remember, your life is a dance. So go out there and dance it well.
For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.